0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. If you'd like to get more information about the church, please visit us at second.org. You are a veteran or are currently serving in our military. Will you please stand, please, so we can honor you here today. Please stand up wherever you are. Please be seated. Would you join me in a word of prayer for our veterans here today and those in this country and around the world. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of the men and women in this room that have served this country by protecting this country and sacrificing. God, we thank you for those veterans that are here and those that are currently serving in the states and around the world. Be with them today on this special day as we honor them. And God, we ask right now as we Seek to listen to you during this time of teaching that we would receive the word that you are sending us. Transform us, God, by the renewing of our minds on your will and your way. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I was watching a lecture given by a social psychologist by the name of Jonathan Haidt, and Jonathan Haidt was speaking at the business school at Penn State. And the subject matter really interested me. He was really talking about what he had seen happening the last 10 to 12 years on the university campuses. He has taught at NYU for a long time. He speaks and lectures at some of the elite universities around the country. But he said in the last 10 or 12 years, he's seen a trend develop among what he would call Generation Z. And Generation Z are basically those born between 1997 and 2012, depending on the stats you, you believe in. And what he said is that in Gen Z, there's been this tendency to imbibe and believe what he calls three great untruths. Three great untruths. And again, Haidt and his co-author are are writing from a secular perspective. They have no political or religious skin in the game. They're simply writing looking at the emotional anxiety and worry and depression that's going on among Gen Z and others. They're trying to figure out what happened, why has this happened. So their research revolves around that. Their research and their solutions are very pragmatics. They're not writing this in a polemical way. They're trying to critique, and they're actually trying to help people uh, in that generation. So they came up with what they consider the three great untruths that are so popular that many, I would say not just in Gen Z, but in our society writ large, have uh, have absorbed. So here they are. The, The first untruth is the untruth of fragility. The untruth of fragility. In other words, they reversed Nietzsche's maxim, and they've said, that which doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So one of the major premises of their work, and they wrote a book. Let me show you the book. They wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. In other words, we have a group of folks, kids, young people, now that are adults, that have been taught that challenge is bad. Suffering is something you have to avoid at all costs. You know, we need to shave off the rough edges and make things safe no matter what. Then there's the untruth of emotional reasoning. And that is, you should always trust your feelings. Your feelings will be an adequate guide to make wise and logical choices. Now, those of us who have lived long enough know that that's simply not the truth. Your feelings are more like a roller coaster. They go up and down, they vacillate, they change. But many have bought into this idea that my feelings, my emotions, my internal world is what determines what's real and what's right. The third untruth is the untruth of us versus them. In other words, they've been taught in school and the university to see the world as this constant battle between good and evil to see people as a part of a good group or an evil group, rather than to see them as individuals. So what led them to come to these untruths? In other words, what qualified these untruths into existence, if you would, was that they had to first contradict ancient wisdom, ideas found in cultures throughout the world. They had to contradict modern psychological research on well-being, and they had to be sure that these untruths harmed the individual as well as the communities who embraced it. And so they said, what this has led to in our society today, in Western civilization, especially in the United States, is unprecedented levels of anxiety, depression, and suicide. And we can talk about different villains to blame here. We could talk about social media. We could talk about the internet. We could talk about early exposure to porn. There are many things we could talk about that have led to this emotional and psychological malaise. We also could talk about the professors and teachers and universities who have bought into this, which has led to a type of what I want to call toxic fragility overprotecting which has led to i think and many others a worship of being a victim so we have not just within this generation but in many generations and in our country today it's kind of in trendy to be a victim find where you have been victimized claim your victimness and then go cash a check, I guess. But we want to be victims. We coddle victims. We teach people to be victims. And that's a dangerous place to be. These researchers see it from a secular perspective. I see it more from a, as a pastor, from a Christian and theistic perspective. I, I believe the maxim that we must prepare the child for the road, and not the road for the child. Because the road of life is a rough and rugged road. It's full of potholes. We have a couple of those in Houston. Potholes, detours, wrecks, crashes, off-road, life will take you on a long and winding road. And life will bring the fight to you. Life punches back. Life punches hard. And so if we're raising up through our school system and through popular culture, a generation of young people, either in our own house or uh, in our schools, that's not ready, that's, that's too fragile, listening to their emotions, looking people as groups and not as individuals, then we as a culture are in a very, precarious and dangerous place. Now, I had a mentor years ago, he's since passed on, but he would say this, he would say, if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. In other words, as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. And one of my favorite stories I've ever heard, one of the most compelling and captivating stories, I believe, is a story coming out of the Old Testament about a guy by the name of Joseph. Now, most of the people, I would say 98 or 99% of the people in the Old Testament are jacked up from the ground up, you're right? I mean, there are a bunch of criminals and liars and massive sinners in the Old Testament, only a few good ones. You got Joseph, you got Daniel, you got and that's about it. Maybe maybe Ruth and Esther, okay? More on that later. But but Joseph is a story that's in Genesis that's so compelling. Because if anybody should have said, I'm a victim life is unfair, life has messed me around, therefore I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to be better, I'm going to be resentful, I'm going to get what is mine. If anybody should have had a victim mentality, it would have to be Joseph. Joseph had these brothers. The brothers didn't like Joseph and the favoritism they felt he got from their dad. They sold their brother into slavery in a foreign country. Now, my older brother beat me up. And I beat my little, no, I tortured my little brother. And I tortured my little brother. If I go to hell, that's going to be why. But here's the deal. They didn't throw me off into slavery in a foreign country. They didn't do that. That's what happened to Joseph. They threw him in a pit. He becomes a slave. Why he's a slave? He uh, is accused of a sexual crime he did not commit. He's thrown into prison. He's forgotten in prison. All these things happen to Joseph, a guy who had great promise as a young person, great potential, big call on his life. But man, he got the tar kicked out of him. Life punched him he get back up and it punched him again. He gets back down on the ground. We're not talking boxing. By the way, life is not like boxing. Boxing, boom, boom. Yet you, you knock someone down, you go to your neutral corner and they count you out. No, life is MMA. When life knocks you down, like MMA, they get on top of you and throw elbows and knees and all that. That's life. That's what happened to Joseph. So what happened to Joseph. But Joseph kept on moving forward. Joseph never said, I'm a victim. Joseph always said, you know what? God is with me. So throughout all these scenarios, all these chapters in Genesis, if you read the story, it would say God is, was with Joseph. And eventually he sprung out of prison and he becomes second in command in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Crazy. How did he do that? Well, somewhere along the way, he had to develop an authentic relationship with God. Somewhere along the way, as we talked about, he had to develop deep, grounded roots in knowing that somehow, some way, God loved him. Though his circumstances didn't look like it, though the pain was real, though he felt rejected, felt like he was a victim, he said, you know what? I'm going to hold on to trusting God. No matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to keep moving forward. No matter what's going on in my life, I am not a victim. I will not let bitterness and resentment eat me up. So Joseph kept moving forward. And I believe what what happened, we can see it in a passage in my favorite book in the Bible, and that's Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, I've been a Christian for a long time, right? I I grew up in the church. I mean, even before, you know, I was probably in the womb and I learned Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. I came out of the chute singing that song. I grew up in the church, it just did. And so I read the Bible a lot, I heard the Bible stories a lot, and there's some verses that, and some passages, did you notice that, that are just kind of yours, right? They're just kind of your verse, God, and you keep going back to Him. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is one of those passages. Check it out. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So remember, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, ask the question, what is it there for? What is it there for? And the therefore in Romans 12, 1, therefore, in view of God's mercy, is referring back to Romans chapters 1 through 11, where Paul answers those massive philosophical and theological questions. Why am I here? How did I get here? Where am I going? Is there a God? If there's a God, how do I know this God? Does this God have a purpose for my life and a plan for my life? Does this God have a plan for the nations? And does God have a plan for me? Does this God, if he exists, actually love me? So Romans chapters 1 through 11 answer those questions. So if we are to do what the rest of Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us to do, we first have to have an experience with the therefore. We have to have an experience with God's grace and God's mercy, make sense? So no one is qualified to know God. No one is pure enough to see God. No one is righteous enough, good enough, has the grades or the resume to be approved by God everyone falls short, rebellious people do, religious people do, everyone falls short. So God did something for us that a lot of us know about. He sent his son to live a perfect life for us, to die as a sacrifice in our place, to rise again, to be accepted by God. So if we accept Christ, God accepts us in the here and now and forever. God puts his spirit inside of our life. We become a son or a daughter of God and nothing will separate us from God's love. Okay, so that's the therefore. So in light of the fact that you have received God's love and mercy, if you have, if you have, then look what his word tells us to do. Verses one and two, therefore, in light of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not let these untruths sink into your mind and come out of your phone into your heart. It's my translation, (laughs) but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I've received the therefore. I've received this free gift of life and forgiveness in Christ. I've received his mercy. I've had what we used to call in the 70s a born-again experience. Now, because God's Spirit is inside of my life, I can start this process of renewing and transforming my mind. Getting rid of the untruths, pulling up those weeds, and getting on that right track of following God's plan and God's will for my life. A zero victim mindset, check this out, zaps the three great untruths that we looked at earlier. It zaps that untruth of fragility, doesn't it? Because hardships, challenges, and suffering can make you or turn you into the man or woman that God wants you to be if we give them to him. We see that true in so many lives around us. We see that true in the life of Joseph. The hard knocks made him into the great leader that he became in the nation of Egypt. We see that in the story of Esther as she battled all the slurs and racism and stuff that she faced in her life as she rose to power in her life. We see that in the life of Paul as he got knocked down to the ground again, boom, again, boom, again. He kept getting back up. He said, I'm not gonna be a victim. God has a plan for my life. I'm not gonna let bitterness and resentment eat me alive. He kept moving forward with God. So a zero victim mentality, a zero victim mindset zaps the three great untruths, fragility, emotions. I'm not gonna let my emotions rule my life. I'm not gonna let fear rule my life. I'm not gonna let anger rule my life. I'm not gonna let worry and anxiety about the future rule my life. God's given me a, a, a will, God's given me a sense of agency, where I can make choices. He's given me a mind, where I can make choices. Now let me give you a parenthesis. God cares about your emotions and my emotions. If God didn't care about your emotions and my emotions, he wouldn't have written a book in the middle of the Bible called Psalms 150 chapters all about emotions, okay? Emotions aren't bad, I'm not against emotions at all. But I'm saying emotions are not always a great indicator of what's true and what's real. And if you're trying to make a wise decision, listening to your emotions is probably not a good plan. It also zaps this whole idea of us versus them. I'm not gonna see people as groups Groups, groups, this group's good, this group's bad. No, I'm going to see people as individuals. Individuals made in God's image, made in God's image, made in God's image. Sinners just like me, sinners just like me, just like you who can be redeemed. So a zero victim mindset zaps those three great untruths. It reminds me of, of the back in the day, right, of those, of those purple neon lights We used to hang in our backyard. You remember those? Do you remember those things? We call them bug zappers. Young folks, we had these cool purple neon things in our backyard and it would draw bugs and mosquitoes into it and it goes zoom, 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 and it would kind of sizzle. You know, if you couldn't afford barbecue, you could afford a bug zapper. And that's what this does. When I start developing Because we're told in our culture to be a victim. Blame someone. Blame your parents, right? Blame your manager. Manager, blame your boss. Boss, blame the company, corporate, okay? Students blame teachers. Teachers blame the administrators. Administrators blame, just blame, 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 blame. Victim, not my fault. We're taught that. We have to develop, develop and grow in a zero victim mindset. And it works like that bug zapper, Zap, zap, you don't want any of it. You just want to burn it out of your life. And what will happen then? We saw that at the end of verse two. Then you'll have a zeal to do God's will, his perfect and pleasing will. And if you're thinking to yourself, did he just use three Z words in this message? Yes, I did. Zero, zap, and zeal. It was not easy, but I'm very thankful for Google and synonyms are for you. God's will. A zeal to follow God's will. God's will is when I align my life up with truth. God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If I'm lining my life up with God's will, then I'm lining my life up with truth. Okay? And I have to learn how to do that, learn how to follow His law, follow His will. It's a process. I mean, I, I, can, I can, you know, preach and teach. I mean, 20, 30 minutes from now, I can be leaving the parking lot. I'm not on Voss or Woodway and I can start losing my religion a little bit. I'm sorry to break it to you. I, I don't have a fish in my car yet, okay? I'm not there, I'll be there one day. But here's here's the deal. The point of the matter is it's a process. I'm not trying to encourage people to be bad drivers or say things to people in traffic. That's not the point. The point is it's a process that we develop this zero victim mindset. It's a process that we learn to have this zeal to put God's will and God's truth into action in our life. Joseph did that like nobody's business. Remember Joseph, he's, he's in command and they're having a famine at the end of the story in Genesis chapter 50. Do you remember the story? And his brothers come back. They don't recognize Joseph. They, they human trafficked him a long time ago. They forgot about him. They told their father that he's dead. His brothers come back, they don't recognize him. They're begging for food. How's that for high Joseph could have gotten his revenge. Joseph could have had them executed like that, like a bug zapper. But he didn't. What did he say in Genesis 50:20 to his brothers, "You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. the saving of many lives. Zero. Zero victim mindset. Zaps. The untruth. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast from the Woodway campus of Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about the church, please visit us at second.org. That's second.org.